Welcome to Unshushed, a podcast for teachers, librarians, and lovers of YA. I'm Erin, an intermediate school librarian, and today I'm going to discuss Poisoned Water by Candy Cooper. Hi, I'm Laura, and I am a high school librarian, and I'm going to talk about Punching Bag by Rex Ogle. Hi, I'm Mindy. I'm a high school librarian, and I'm going to talk about 100 Days of Sunlight. And I'm Shirley. I'm a high school librarian, and I'm going to talk about Minders by Michelle Jaffe. And Michelle, if you're listening, we tried to find a proper pronunciation for your name, so I apologize if I got that wrong. And we may have Mindy joining us later. She's otherwise occupied, but hoping to Darcy. get here in time. Yeah. Darcy, shoot. <laughs> Darcy, Darcy might be bringing the historical fiction to this episode. If not, we'll probably have some next time. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and get started. So I recently read Poisoned Water. It is a book that um, I got on a book order and I love reading nonfiction. And this one came in and I thought, you know, let me read this because I feel like I'm probably going to have to read this to sell it to some of my kids. And it is about the Flint water crisis. I'm so embarrassed that I didn't know as much about the Flint water crisis as I did, or yes, as I did once I started reading this book. And one of the reasons that I picked to read it is because, you know, I was like, you know what? I really don't even a hundred percent know how it got started. I know I saw it on the news. I followed it a bit, but y'all it's something that happened within the last decade that there is no reason that something like this should have happened in this country two people that are just like us, right? I mean, this is not something that happened centuries ago. The book starts by giving the background of um, Flint getting its water from the Great Lakes and the city's attempt to save money and do a few things differently by starting to pump water out of the Flint River, which has kind of been known for being polluted and not exactly the best water. And there was like this big to do with all these lawmakers that are like, oh, we're going to be on Flint water. This is going to be fantastic. And within days of switching to this water, it did come out clear at first and everything. Yes. But within days of switching over to this water, there are citizens in Flint who are getting sick, who are breaking out into like rashes and sores all over their body. There are parents that are complaining that they can't bathe their children because like their kids are screaming in the bathtub and it's not because they don't want to take a bath. Uh, It's because the water is hurting their skin. Like immediately Uh, within days. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like soon, like it's happening like quickly. And This is something that went on for years. And so as I'm reading this, you know, it's got all these horror stories, you know, and it's very like Aaron Brockovich, you know, where there's like it's tons of people. It's not just one or two. The number of people that are complaining and they're like people are spending at this point, like their entire salaries on bottled water that they are using to do everything. And, you know, I think about us like post hurricane, sometimes we get put on boil notice or we're without water, but that's like for a short period of time, you know, last year during the freeze and stuff, when we were in a boil notice, even for showers and stuff, that's something that we dealt with for a little bit of time. So after hurricanes, things like that, this is years of people's lives. I can't possibly even imagine 
like, it is very hard for me to put myself in that situation of a person living in the United States who is having to go alternate routes to take baths, wash my hair, brush my teeth, wash my face, consume water, make coffee, cook food, everything for years. And really one of the only things that got some of this stuff to start changing was that the car factory in Detroit. So a lot of it ties in with like general motors and stuff, their car parts and stuff, the paint wasn't sticking and they were starting to corrode from the water and they got to get taken off of Flint water and put back on great lakes water, which was like a, I think like a $500,000 hit to Flint. And basically the Flint citizens had to eat it. So because it was affecting vehicle production they got to switch over yet human beings are being like, they're told like, no, it's cool, but you can keep drinking it. Just boil it first. It's fine. It's fine. It, y'all, I, my heart is just like, is still, crazy. yeah, my heart is still broken from it. And I knew a lot of this stuff was happening, but I didn't know to the specific degree. And you think about the long-term effects of people that consume this water, children, it was talking about um, the increase over a short period of time of children who are identified as um, in, for special ed services in schools. So the water cost is increasing. It's corroding things it's affecting children's brain function and they're still being told it's fine and so i just like I, I, it's and, really and have they there have also been and i correct me if i'm wrong but like long-term medical problems like a higher incidence of cancer and like is that mm-hmm. correct yeah definitely not just the brain it, it has led to a lot of different health issues in adults and children. And then honestly, they probably still don't even know the long-term effects. I mean, if the first few years, your developmental years of your life, or when a woman was pregnant, this is what she's consuming. Like you don't really know the full extent of it yet, even because of the fact that this happened so recently. So, so I don't know. It was in Flint. What's the demographics there that they, nobody cared. So the beginning of the book does talk about a very large white flight from Flint in like the mid 1900s. So there you go. People of color. There's a lot of people of color in Flint. Yes. And is it any affluence at all there? What? Was there any like affluence at all in that town? Not really. It's one of those towns where a lot of people, you know, work in vehicle production factories. I mean, I really, was, the only knowledge I had of Flint, Michigan was from the Watsons go to Birmingham because that, that's, that's where they live and that's where they take off from in 1963 when they get, I love that book, but I, I don't know, it broke my heart. And it's one of those like nonfiction books that I'm really glad that I read, but I'm disgusted by, I needed a fluff piece after. So, you know, I started a little teenage rom-com right after it. So, yeah, I definitely want to read this book now that you've brought my attention to it. Cause I have heard about this, you know, just generically a little bit in the news, but I mean, it does seem pretty crazy that in America and not that far ago, like a town. Yeah. yeah this, this is not the 1700s when we didn't know how to clean things properly or this test. Is, yeah. Or they the probably 70s. knew, right? Like, isn't that what the data has come out and like, they knew it wasn't safe. They just kept giving it to the people anyway. Is that- so I was at TLA 
uh, several years ago. And the speaker for the general session was the person who started Donors Choose. Um, and that was one of his main examples was that a teacher sent in pictures of the water from the tap of the school and the water was disgustingly red. So on Donors Choose, she requested a pallet of bottled water to give to her kids at school so that at least when they're at school, they can drink clean water. Yeah. the I mean, the kids that were going to school, they couldn't even drink out of the water fountains or anything like yeah. that. And there were people that were bringing bottles that they had filled out of their taps to like town hall meetings and stuff. And depending on the day, the water in the bottle was a different color. Sometimes it was brown. Sometimes it was reddish. Sometimes it was yellow. Sometimes it was just cloudy from the same tap. They're like, I didn't even take like I didn't even get this from one in the bathroom and one in the kitchen. Like this all came out of my kitchen tap. I don't know. It's awful. And you know what though? It's, it was a page turner and it was enlightening. And I'm glad that I have it in my intermediate library. I would definitely have it on a high school library shelf too. I think it's just, it, it's a good read. It's a fast read. It's well-written. Um, it flows. It's, it's organized well, but you know, it's one of those books that I'm glad that I know more now, but the part of me that wants to sometimes bury my head in the sand yeah. <laughs> makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So Poison Water by Candy Cooper. I currently can't find if she has a Twitter handle. So I don't know if I'm be able to tweet out to her and tell her that we talked about her book today. <laughs> but Laura, you also read a Heart, another heartbreaking title, right? another heartbreaker book that we're gonna really question the state of the world. Um so oh, no. I read Punching Bag. Uh, by Rex Ogle. And if you remember, I guess about a year, year and a half ago, I came and talked about this book called Free Lunch, which I loved. And at the time I was like, every teacher in America needs to read this book because it really tells a story of like what it's like for student poverty. Um, so Free Lunch was his memoir from like his middle school years and Punching Bag as Rex's uh, memoir from his high school years. I went through like an emotional roller coaster with this book. I think mostly because I was going through an emotional roller coaster and I really wanted to get this book read in time for the podcast. So I've really just read it in the last two days. And at first I was really kind of annoyed with this book because I was like, this is just more a free lunch, you know, and free lunch was great. I love free lunch. I said, every teacher in America should read it. But then like our sixth grade teachers at my school are using it in their classrooms right now, actually. That's awesome. Also, I was annoyed because I was like, you know, I really feel like to know what's going on. I really needed to have read free lunch, like almost like it's a sequel. I mean, it was not written that way. It's like a standalone, but having the background information of free lunch, I was thinking to myself, man, if I didn't know all that, I, I don't know if I'd really be following the story that well, but I kept pushing through. I'm so glad I did because at the end, my immediate reaction um, to this story was, wow, every high schooler needs to read this book. So basically it's a story of Rex, you know, in his high school years. And he found out that he had a little sister that died very early um, in the sister's life, like within I don't know, days 
of being born or maybe even before that. This is a Um, younger sister. Yeah. So he was like seven and he was away for the summer. And then the mom who deals with poverty and mental health issues and really just causes a lot of trauma in his life. One day blamed him for the death of his sister. First of all, he's like, wait, what? I have a sister. And second of all, wait, I'm responsible. And she was blaming him because he was away when whatever went down, went down. And so he really internalized that, you know, like he really felt like it was his fault that his sister had died when really, how was it a seven-year-old's fault in any any stretch of the imagination, especially when they weren't even there. I mean, so like, I don't want to tell you the whole story because it wraps back around to like what the whole story is in the end, but you know, it's a story of, you know, he's being abused. He's poor. He was running a 106 degree fever and um, the stepdad who's abusive to him half the time ends up taken to the hospital. He gets home from the hospital and his mom can't just stop crying and complaining because the hospital, she's like, why did you take him to the hospital? We can't afford that. And he's like, your son was like not the 106 degree fever. Like he was going to have brain damage. Um, And she's like, well, couldn't you have like just taken him to the doctor? And, you know, so he, they're really living in this really hard situation um, that we know a lot of our students go through. Um, And I'm going through something right now Um, with one of my students who is a pal and she's finding out that um, one of her pallies life is really not good. And a lot of similar things are going on. And that's been really hard for me lately. Cause I mean, I think as educators, we deal with, we know that people have things going on in their lives and bad situations. And, you know, we report it and then we hope we're making a good decision with that because I mean, it's not our choice. We always report it because it's the law, but then we hope that whatever happens is the better of two really bad options going into foster care or staying in an abusive house. But somehow we manage that. But right now I'm having to help a high schooler manage those feelings because, you know, and so like, it's just been very, it very close to home right now, especially because it's much harder trying to help for, at least for me, trying to help a teenager realize, yeah, that's, it's like that out there and it's heartbreaking and it's hard and we just do the best we can. And, you know, we're there to support, but I don't know. It, it, it was, it was a hard book to read. I was not in the right place to read it, but I'm so glad I did because it's definitely like the ending of it was breathtaking. Like literally it took my breath away. So I think teachers need to read free lunch. Students need to read punching bag. And I emailed Susie in the middle of the night last night. And I'm like, this is who we need to have come talk to the library conference because he will tell a really good story that I think is really important to librarians. He Um, was the speaker at uh, actually the last in-person tweens read festival that we had in Pasadena because it's every October. And I used to take a bus of kids every year. It's, it's been online for the last couple of years, but the last time that it was held in person, I think free lunch had just come out. So was he a good speaker? Yeah, he was. I went to one of his panels. He wasn't the keynote person. I don't 
a million years in pandemic time have happened since then. (laughs) But I did go to a couple of the panels that he was in because I have a few pictures of that with him in there. And I had read free lunch when he was talking on the panels about it. So it was even more enlightening and meaningful to hear him, I guess, further expand on that experience um, in person, you know, with, with people having the ability to ask questions. I'd love for you to email Susie and let her know that I had told you about thinking about Rex and that you have actually heard him speak. Cause that's the one thing I didn't know as I hadn't heard him speak. So I ended up, I finished reading this book, like between two and three. And the next thing I know is like an hour later, which clearly I should have been in bed by now. I'm listening to him give like an interview with somebody. Cause I'm trying to like hear like his you went down that rabbit hole. And, yeah, I totally did. But overall, I thought it was great. Like I said, I wasn't really in the right mindset. I was, I was crabby to start with and dealing with some other issues and, but I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I stuck with it because it, it was a phenomenal book, especially at the end. Um, well, I have free lunch on my middle school shelves. Do you think punching bag is a little too mature for this age? I haven't, I didn't even realize he had another book yet. So I haven't looked into it at all. I'm going to see so, what the reviews hold on, let me say. Answer something that you didn't ask first. And then I will go back and answer your actual question. First of all, he not only does he have this book, but all of y'all and all of you listening out there need to go to rexogle.com because he actually has a ton of books he's published like in the last year. Like he's got some like graphic novels coming out and he has like a whole novel that's online that kids can read. Can you say the website name again? Rex Ogle, O-G-L-E. Okay. I think I'm a really bad speller. I think that's right. I know me too. So that's Um, why I asked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm 90% sure that's correct. He's got some other stuff and a whole bunch of stuff that's coming out. Um, In listening to the interview, you know, in the middle of the night, he had wanted to be a writer and not really ever thought about doing memoirs. Um, So, you know, he wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and got rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection, as authors often do. So I think that maybe he's been able to, like, kind of resurrect some of those stories now that he has a little bit of a name. So I'm, you know, some stuff, other stuff is coming out from him and I'm looking forward to see where he goes from here, because it looks like he's not going to just be sticking with memoir. Um, Now, the answer to middle school, I am not the best at making selections, but I mean, I'm trying to think, I don't know why somebody could read free lunch and not that, you know what I mean? Like, it's abuse in both cases. It's poverty in both cases. You know, there's the the fact that he's dealing with he thinks he killed his was responsible for his sister's death. But well, how many middle school shelves have yeah. a child called it on it? I mean, I don't think many people read that anymore, but that's they that's do right. here. Yeah, that's a horrifying they still read. story yeah. to read. So I can't think of any maybe the the scenes were a little more graphic, like the abuse scenes. I'll just, um, I, actually, I want to read it myself again. Cause until you mentioned it, I didn't realize that he had done that one. Yeah. Maybe I'll read it myself and make that decision from there. Yeah. It's a good idea. Cause my, my decisions are questionable. Um, sometimes <laughs> I'm going to put one more thing on my to read list, even though 
right now, I think right now I'm in one of those stages where there's like eight books that I really, really just, I want to start them all right now. And the more books I start, the more books I start. And then I don't finish any of them because I have like too many books started. And then I just look at them and I'm like, ah, I, I have to commit to like two at a time. Yeah. Either a fiction and a nonfiction or something on my Kindle and something in paper. I don't know that I can do that. And that's about it. <laughs> right. But like so, I said, I read pin. this in less than two days. Like when I told you I was going to review this book yesterday, I hadn't even opened it. So you can power through it if you don't need to sleep. Okay. GL, you were talking about how you went to his website and found out how um, he had more books and things. Um, the author that I'm going to talk about today has also very active online. Her name is Abby Emmons, E-M-M-O-N-S, and she has a very active Instagram, and she has two, actually. One is at Abby official and her other one is at make your story better um, because she has on her websites lots of different um, suggestions on how to become a better writer so I think she is very young and approachable on her um, YouTube and her blogs and blogs and I think even some of our kids who want to be writers um, might enjoy looking at some of her websites and information on there. But I read this book, 100 Days of Sunlight, because one of the teachers in my building, um, she's a biology teacher, she's not even an English teacher, came up to the library to tell me how great this book was and that I had to absolutely read it. And of course, I read it right then because to get a recommendation from a teacher who isn't even focused on English, she just found a great book that she wanted to share. I read it and I loved it. And so I had to actually contact Mackin for them to add the book to their collection that they will send out. It's now in the system. If you go on Mackin, you can find 100 Days of um, Sunlight now. Uh, because she did indie publish it, I wasn't able to see some of the more traditional reviews because if you publish it yourself, obviously, um, you don't have as large a following. Um, but because she has a big presence on social media, I do think that helped her with her indie publishing, get it out. And on TikTok, they've been talking about it. Um, if you follow the book talk, this is one of the books that they have been talking about along with a lot of others. But this one follows, her main character is uh, Tessa Dickinson. She has been in a wreck and has had a terrible accident and she has lost her sight. She is blinded from the accident, but they have told her that it should be temporary and that in several months, it is possible for her vision to come back. 
but she has turned in very uh, much into herself. Previously, she had a, a very active blog where she wrote poetry and talked about different things uh, and had lots of followers, um, which I found sort of similar to the author and how she also has followers online. But Tessa has had such a terrible accident that she cannot Um, find anything positive in the world anymore. Um, So she doesn't want to do her blog. She doesn't want to do anything except sit in her bed because she can't figure out where anything is. And so she's really reacting from a big sense of fear because she's always had sight and knows how to move around her house and go up and down stairs and everything without any help. But now that she's blind, she has just completely folded in on herself. Um, And so her grandparents uh, post, they're going to post something in a newspaper saying they would like to hire someone to sit with Tessa and be her typer, you know, that's not the word, but typist as um, so that she could still Uh, say her poetry and have someone else write the words down for her in her blog. So she could still be active um, in her head and have someone else type the words for her. And then Abby, not Abby, that's author, Tessa finds out that they're going to put that in the newspaper and she's very, very upset. She doesn't want that. She uh, gets completely mad at her grandparents for trying to do that. Um, and so her grandparents call the newspaper and say, never mind, don't post it in the paper. It was just an idea that we were trying. Well, um, the son of the person in the newspaper sees the ad and he does show up at their house and he is Tessa's age. He is a double amputee. So he does not have uh, the bottom part of either of his legs. And that was also from an accident. So previously he was able to walk and run and be a daredevil. And then he had a big shock similar to her. So Weston is the name of the character and um, he really feels like he can help her. And he refuses to let anyone tell her that he is an amputee. So he can finally be around someone who doesn't feel sorry for him. Because she doesn't know that he has prosthetics on. All she knows is this guy who um, has never had a problem in his life is trying to tell me that I should turn more positive. And so it's about their time together and how he does um, show her that there can be positives after the accident. He helps her and encourages her to go downstairs and finally they do even walk to a park and he's trying to emphasize other parts that what do you hear as you're on your walk and what do you feel and so he's trying to bring out the other senses for her even though she doesn't have sight she can still enjoy the world and so it's about the two of them coming together and she doesn't ever know that he also did go through something similar to her and how Oldish is she? I, you might have mentioned it. She's but. sixteen. Okay. Okay. And does she lives with her grandparents. She does. I th- okay. Yes. Well, that sounds sad. <laughs> um, yeah. So it is really more about 
him showing her how to be positive. Like she is feeling sorry for herself and she wants to just sit in that bed until her sight comes back. But instead, he has shown her a more positive way to interact with the world and that she brings more to the table than just her eyesight. And so it is actually very uplifting. You want to know these people. I totally wish that Weston was in my high school so that I could talk to him and like make him be friends with my daughters because he's adorable and kind and everything that you would want from a friend. So I'm glad that you said it was a little uplifting because I looked the book up before we started recording. Yes. And fell in love with the cover. Yes. But oh, I meant to mention really, that you really love the cover. Picture. I do love the cover a lot, especially for like an indie publication. It yes, it's, it's really very nice. Cute. But it looks uplifting. It looks happy. It doesn't look like about a person who doesn't want to get out of bed. But obviously there's right. more to the story than just that though. So. Right. I thought about you, Erin, in a meeting this week because somebody at the meeting said, but nobody's ever read the book. And like three people at the table were immediately like, because it has a horrible cover. Anyway, I was like, oh, Erin would really love to be here right now. And I would. I love talking about <laughs> book covers. And I, I actually um, the other day for my sixth grade first chapter Friday, I picked the first rule of punk because I love that book. And it was on the Lone Star list. But I hate the cover because the drawing of that girl makes her look eight years old. And it is very hard for me, even though it's about a kid in middle school, to put that book in my middle school kids hands because it looks like a book that's written for like a fourth grader. Um, those covers. Book, covers are important. It does have a beautiful cover. Um, and the characters are 16 and 17, I believe. But the book is definitely clean. Um, there's nothing in it that you couldn't have at intermediate school. Um, even though the kids are older, um, it's not an older, some of the things that we would keep out of intermediate school, gotcha. um, those kind of things are not in this book. So excellent. Yeah. You can feel comfortable handing it to anyone. Well, what does your book cover look like? Shirley? <laughs> uh, mine, mine, <laughs> uh, my cover is um, a little bit, I don't know what to say about my cover. It's got some weird people sort of coming up into coming apart in pieces on the front a Ooh, guy like and a and a girl and um i'm not sure exactly how much it really relates to the to the content of the story but it's not a bad cover some people would like it all right uh, i am talking about minders this is written by michelle jaffe and if i said that wrong michelle i apologize i tried to find a proper pronunciation but wasn't successful and this is actually an older book. I want to say that right up front. I just okay. happened to read it now. And so it's from 2014, I believe. Yeah, 2014. So Oh, it's really uh, old, Shirley. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, depends on who's listening, right? If you're a high school kid, no. they're like, oh, it's fine. You know, that's I had kids um, recently that are like, I'm not reading that book. It's old. And I was like, y'all walk around here with Nirvana Nevermind t-shirts on <laughs> from the early early 90s and you're not going to read a book that's more than five years old okay okay true because nothing good was ever written you know more than five years ago all right so anyway this this story opens up with sadie 
Sadie is an upper middle class or upper class student in an affluent area with affluent parents and affluent friends. And she is applying to this very elite fellowship um, that is offered by a, a company called Rogue Mind Corps. And Rogue Mind Corps is very well known because it is a corporation that is working to improve inner city conditions in the world. And so she's very excited about applying. She really wants to get in. The, the fellowship uh, only accepts a few people. I'm trying to remember how many there are. I think there are 25-ish. And out of you know thousands of applicants... And so she does end up getting this fellowship. So we see her go to the very secluded and weirdly hidden facility where she's going to do this fellowship. There's, they have to drive on rutted roads and all kinds of stuff where you, which you would not, that would not be your perception ahead of time for a thing like this. And when she gets there, all of these kids are there that are just like her and what they learn is that they're going to be immersed in tanks and for six weeks, they're going to live in someone else's head. And these people are all inner city folk and uh, trying to decide how much to reveal. So let's just go with Sadie gets immersed in this tank and she has a panic button that she can push to get out and they'll come and take her out of the other person's head. And um, there's some fail safes in place and just the whole technology of this sort of really interests me. And I think I really enjoy books that get me thinking about the ramifications of what's going on or new technology or things that could happen in our future. And this is, this is one of those books. So, so she's plugged and, into someone else's like thought process. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. And this other person is named Ford and he's roughly the same age she is. They're both upper high school, 18, 17, 18, 19 age range. And she gets into his head and she, she can see out of his eyes. She hears what he says. She intuitively, it takes a little bit of time to figure out, but eventually she intuitively knows what the emotions are that he are, is feeling she um, can, she says things like, oh, there's a shadow over that. He's feeling sad and things like that during the, during the process. So you get a lot of information about how she is interpreting what's going on in his world through her own brain, because it's not just straightforward. He's happy. He's sad. He's excited or whatever. And um, she basically stays inside the head of this inner city kid for six weeks. That's the plan. And so the story opens with her struggling to figure out what she's seeing and hearing and what's going on in his life. Cause she has no schema for his life. And um, as it turns out, his brother was killed and he is, uh, so we're, we get bits and pieces of what the brother was like and why he, why he's trying to figure out who killed his brother. I guess I can see uh, for that reason, why it might've been rated as a mystery um, by the vendor we talked about earlier. Yeah, but I really think someone has a tag as a mystery. Yeah, so. but I really think it's science fiction. Bindi thinks it's an adventure. <laughs> Sounds super exciting. <laughs> we should put it in adventure. <laughs> but as as you might expect throughout the novel, Sadie 
starts to care about this person and oh. Ford uh, through the process of living his life silently. She can't talk to him. He doesn't know she's there. You know, she's she, she he's doing things and she's screaming, no, no, don't do that. Ah, 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 you know, and he doesn't know she she is frustrated. She wants to help him. She, you know, all of those things that you might find if you were living in someone's head for a while. Does he know she's in there? No. Oh, he, um, he has. He is. OK, so he's he just living his life. He's just living his life. OK. And so there are lots of twists and turns through the story. And she spends a lot of time trying to figure out how to communicate with him because she can see he's going down a very dark path and he's in danger and she doesn't want him to be hurt and all of these things. And so I don't want to tell you too much about it because those are the twists and turns that make the book really interesting. But I just, I really loved it. And I resonated a lot with Sadie. I am, I have lots of empathy in my natural state of being, you know, it's part of my core. And so a a book like this, where you're in somebody's head and you completely sympathize or empathize, whichever is appropriate with what is going on in their life. And you can't talk to them or interfere or help or warn or anything. Um, Oh, you just have to watch. Right. And um, helplessly. Yes. um, I really related to that because it, 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 I really resonated with Sadie and all of her frustrations because I am not that person (laughs) who can just watch other people go down a bad path. If I know you're going down a bad path, I'm going to do my best to. But it's, yeah, because it's not even like that's happening to your friend where you can be like, hey, let's talk about that, you know. And she had to sign a legal agreement at the beginning that said she would never contact her subject. So in this case, Ford, right? Of course. So very, very interesting Mm -hmm. and um, worth a read. If it's, I won't say that it's a complex book that's going to stand the test of time, but I enjoyed it. And um, I I won't say it's a light read either. It's somewhere in the middle. It's a good book. And I, I liked it and I'm going to go out and look and see what else this author has written um, because I like her writing style. I like her ideas. I was really interested in the science part of this because the way she gets into this kid's head, Ford, his name is Ford. The way she gets into his head is that early in his life, it can, a chip of some kind was implanted in his skull. And so there is also this added um, storyline about how his mother submitted and why to having this chip put into his head. So it also brings up a lot of questions about desperation and poverty and mental illness and all of those things. And uh, it, alongside the corporation, which may or may not be evil, who is taking all of this data from people who don't even know that they're in their heads. It so. sounds like a Black Mirror episode, the more you described yeah, it. A little and bit, then yeah. I know I was going to ask while you were describing it, I was like, oh, I wonder like what the ultimate, like what are they trying to accomplish with? But I know that's probably a huge part of the plot that yeah. you can't say that you have to read the book to find out. Like, but I'm like, oh, okay, what, what was the end game here with plugging this person's brain into another person? Like, what, what are we trying to get at here? But I feel like that's probably part of the story that you need to 
keep pushed, right? Well, yeah. I can I can tell you this much: when you when you sign up for the fellowship, they promote it, and they are applauded everywhere for doing this because what they're what they say they're trying to do is build empathy and understanding for people not in poverty to understand what goes on in the life of someone who is in poverty. So they're trying to improve inner city life by creating understanding in their fellowship people to understand better what happens in inner cities. And then the idea is they'll be better equipped to make changes in the, in the world during their lifetime that will positively impact the, those folks now that nice. they have a better understanding of what their life is like. So that's the premise. See, I didn't even realize there's a little common threads running through a lot of books that we ended up picking for this particular uh, episode. That's kind of cool. I know, they, all sounded, they all sounded so good. Yeah. I gotta go read them all. Is it a standalone, Charlie? It sounds yep. like a standalone. Yep. It's yes. a standalone. Okay, because if it's a standalone, the the odds of me reading it have significantly <laughs> increased because I cannot commit to a series and I am a fan of standalone books. I was really excited whenever everyone shared what books they were going to talk about today because I was like, I haven't read any of these. Uh, not all the time, but often there's at least one that I'm like, oh, I read it and I loved it. And so I have stuff to contribute to it. But this one, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a lot of listening and adding to my to read list for, <laughs> that never seems to shrink. Right. That's, that's, that's right. Probably, that's how that's it goes. The life, life we live as librarians. That is, that's, I think I saw something somewhere that was like, it's a shirt that says bury me with my TBR, my to be read. Well, I think, uh, you know, we had a lot of common threads about poverty and mental health and uh, societal issues, I guess, running through some of these books today. That was totally inadvertent, but I kind of like the way that it worked, worked out. out. Yeah, yeah, worked out pretty nicely. And I uh, kind of miss having Darcy on today, but sometimes life happens. So I guess that's going to wrap it up for this episode, season four, episode five of Unshushed. And we will have some more books for you next month. Right. Right. See you. Right. Thank you. See ya.